1: Astros baseball is brought to you by Ram shirts. Ram shirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct to garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Ram shirts. Go to Ramshirts.com for all your custom apparel needs.
0: Welcome to Astros baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Here's your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. Joining me on the podcast tonight, author Russell A. Carlton. Russell, thanks for coming on. Oh, this is going to be amazing. Thanks for having me. So I came across you on Twitter when I saw that you had written a book called The Shift mm-hmm. back in 2018. It says the next evolution in baseball thinking. So what was going on in my mind at the time is that they were talking about banning the shift. Are they going to ban the shift? Are they not going to ban the shift? And I said, whoa, this guy wrote a book about the shift, but that's not what the book is about.
1: No, I had, and my publishers and I have kind of looked back on that and gone, ah, eh, maybe that was a mistake. But yeah, the, the idea was that it was supposed to be about the shift in thinking in baseball. And I mean, I do write in there about the infield shift uh, for part of it, and there's a, a chapter called Why Didn't David Ortiz Just Bunt? Um, and it, it, there's some of that in there, but I, I promise it's not 300 pages of where to put your infielders. I mean, that just that that would be a terrible book. <laughs> So why we
0: brought it up? Let's let's talk about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they've they've been talking about banning the shift, and they have all these new rule changes. But I saw nothing mm-hmm. about the shift. What have you heard about it?
1: So there was, I mean, there were there was talk that that in the 2023 season, because there are rules around how how soon before a season you can implement a rule change like that. And there was just kind of some reporting, and, and from reliable sources, that they had talked about for the twenty twenty three season, that they would do things like make the bases a little bit bigger, uh, that they would have a pitch clock, but also that they would um, that they they would ban the infield shift. And you know, in the in the joy that came with we're actually going to have a twenty twenty two season, and then they got a CBA and they were able to get something done. Um, I think a lot of that kind of took a back seat. But you know, there was also some some stuff that I saw that was ah, that's not finalized. You know, we we haven't totally decided on this, and we can we can totally decide not to 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 ban the shift, or we can you know go back on the pitch clock or whatever. So right now, I think that that was that was floating around a couple of days ago, and you know, I I write for Baseball Prospectus, and I wrote my article this week, and it was just called "So You Decided to Ban the Shift," and you know, it, it's kind of still out there, and it's something that I think there is there is support for, but I don't know that that's finalized at this point. So, you know, I mean, I I, I only know what I read on Twitter, too.
0: Yeah. So in your opinion, you, there's good things about the shift. Sure. In, in my opinion, it's a strategy. It's a strategy to stop the other team from scoring. If your analytic department just, you know, tells you play here and play here when this guy's up to bat, I never, I don't see an issue with it, but they're trying to make all these changes and they're trying to bring new fans to the ballpark. And so maybe it'll bring more offense. So what do you think? What's the positives and the negatives about banning the shift?
1: Yeah. I mean, I consider myself something of a sports libertarian and, you know, kind of, Let let people, you know, within within the rules, I I don't see the point in in banning creative thought, basically. So but then there's another part of me that says, you know, I kind of get it. There's the frustration that people feel because um, you know, you get a, a, a line drive that's kind of hit to the right side. And then there's this guy in short right field. And what's he doing there? But he picks it up and he throws to first. And what would have been a base hit 10 years ago turns into, you know, sometimes at the third baseman over there, say so like, oh, it's a 5-3 ground out to short right field. How's that work? And so people are get weirded out about that. Um, but on the flip side, when we do a kind of a deeper analysis of it, the shift does hurt lefties more than righties. Um, in fact, with right-handed hitters, I actually recommend that teams don't shift. Um, and, but the reason, the real reason that the shift is a problem is that it actually increases the number of walks in the game. You know, you can't throw a guy out if he gets to walk to first. And that was, you know, that, that's kind of a big deal. And, and what we know is that um, pitchers change the way that they pitch in front of the shift, especially to lefties and they kind of stay off the outer third of the place because that's poke it the other way territory. And so, you know, the, we have a whole bunch of secondary effects of the shift that we didn't really think about. I, I think that in, if you talk to batters, they say that what I try and do is when I see a shift, I try and hit it over the shift, which means you're taking a power swing, which makes for a game that's more reliant on strikeouts and home runs. Uh, and that's just not pleasant baseball to watch. So there's part of me that just says, don't, don't, I'm, I'm annoyed that this is that, you know, something that was honestly brought up in, and, and, and there was a lot of hard work put into it. And, you know, had, had baseball kind of not had this two, two formation on the infield uh, forever and ever and ever, people wouldn't think it's weird, but because they just did, it's, it's, it, they're, they're angry because it's just not what they grew up with. Um, but at the same time, I kind of go, well, yeah, but it, the the baseball is getting kind of boring. And so there's, there's something to be said for that. So I kind of grudgingly accept that it may happen. Um, but it doesn't mean I got to be happy about it.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, like people that are into baseball and have a favorite team and watch You know, Pretty much all the games They don't find the game boring But when I take a step back Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I And I think of myself as someone That doesn't have a favorite team Mm -hmm. So when I try to watch Like maybe a Sunday night baseball game You're like, oh, okay I'm going to watch the Red Sox and the Yankees It's this rivalry I get two or three innings in it And I don't want to watch it Mm -hmm. Because I only care about one team I don't I don't get excited about watching other teams play.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the, if you're trying to hook in, not only just kind of the casual baseball fan, but even, even just thinking about. I mean, I live in Atlanta, and you know we got a team here that that did okay last year, and you yeah. know that'll that'll kind of draw. Um, but the the um, even trying to draw some of those people. Who would only ever cheer for Atlanta and would only go to one of their games, but trying to draw them out to the ballpark is another, another thing. Um, You know, I I keep, and you're right. Sometimes you have to take a step back and, you know, I write for a baseball website. I've published a book on baseball. I'm a baseball junkie. I'm not the one that MLB is chasing right now. They've got me and I'm going to be a fan no matter what. But, you know, it's there's a certain amount where, as I tell my kids, it's all about the merch and they're trying to they're trying to sell the best product that they can. And, you know, that's a lot of people don't like it when you start talking like that. But that is a cold reality of life is that they're trying to sell a product.
0: All right. So let's shift over to your book. (laughs) You like that. I like that. All right, so I, I kind of read a little bit of it on Amazon because they yeah. give you a little sneak peek. And it said, you know, your your dedication to my father who took me to my first baseball game yeah. and to my mother who learned about baseball so she could have something to talk about with six-year-old me. Yeah. So it looks like your parents had a big influence on the game or or your love for the game. And also
1: six years old, You were into it pretty quick. Oh, my goodness. I was, and my mom will still tell you this, is that, I mean, she did not grow up a baseball fan. She knew nothing about the game. Uh, My dad grew up a fan, and, and like, my dad took me to my first game when I I was the week before my kindergarten graduation. And it was, you know, my graduation present. And um, I went to, I lived in Cleveland at the time. I went to old Muni Stadium for any Clevelanders out there listening, which was this, gigantic albatross that was built in the 1930s and it was not pretty it was not nice it was not not a great place to watch a ball game but it was the first place that i saw a baseball game so i fell in love with it um and at the time cleveland was just terrible and i had a couple of hundred lost seasons under my belt by the time i turned what 12 or something like that and uh it it was but it, it was just, it was just such a beautiful game. And, um, you know, my dad would take me to the game and then eventually started taking my brother and we'd go and we'd have a foot long hot dog and that would keep me quiet for two innings. At least that's what my dad would say. And it was, it was a game that I, I just grew up loving in, um, in, in a lot of ways. And and in the, in the nineties, Cleveland got really good and had a stretch of five or six years where they, made a couple of world series and that was that was a very special time in my life. Um and and I, I still look back on that very fondly so I got hooked at a really young age and that has been you know ever since it's it's been a game that I, I have said uh, has measured my life in in the same way that I try to measure it. So your love for baseball started when you, your
0: dad took you to a game and that's kind of how I feel. You yeah. you can't get kids, and I could be wrong, but it, it'd be harder to get kids into the sport watching it on TV because watching it at the ballpark is a whole different experience. Yeah. And I think that's a way better way to get younger generation to fall in love with the game because that's what I did with my son. Yeah. I mean, he loves – go into the games. I don't know. I know he watches the Astros, but
1: he's, I guess he's just like me, you know, but who doesn't love going to the game? Yeah. And I mean, I become, when I eventually became a dad myself and I, I, I have, uh, um, of, of my kids, three of them are old enough that I, have been able to take them to a game. Um, and it's weird because my, my oldest two like going to the ballpark but if there's a game on there like oh yeah sure you know how's Atlanta doing and (laughs) and that's you know but that but but going to a game is is an experience I mean it's it's usually it's summertime it's nice and warm it's a it's a night out it's a um, a thing to do with friends it's um it's just it's just a very beautiful experience and you get to watch um just uh, an amazing game uh, being played so it, it there's a lot that's, that's kind of tied up emotionally in the game. And, and as I walked through the book, you know, I tried to weave in stories about my own baseball life. And I mean, I'm, a, I'm a numbers guy. I, I write for baseball prospectus. I'm an, I'm into analytics and there's plenty of numbers and tables and graphs and charts in the book. Um, but I wanted to, you know, kind of put somebody that I worked with at the publisher house said that, uh, um, it was like putting, uh, numbers to feelings and, and I said, yeah, I didn't even think of it that way, but that's, that, that's a good way to, um, to, to try and, and, and encapsulate some of what I was doing there is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of the game that is very psychological. Um, it's very emotional and, 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 and for good and for evil, that can, that can tinker with the way that people make decisions about it. Um, but it's also a very personal game. And when I wrote the book, I, I didn't want to just write a technical manual about, you know, here's how you calculate war. I wanted to put it into context and say, you know, this is I'm I'm just a baseball, a hopeless romantic baseball fan um, who wanted to write a book about um, about the game and, and about how we can learn about it through the numbers.
0: So is your book mostly about how to calculate stats and how analytics has affected the game, stuff like that?
1: No, it's, I, I, see, it's not a technical menu on how to calculate stats, a tiny little bit of that, but I'm more interested in, and I mean, my background is in psychology. I, you know, my secret uh, superpower is that I'm, I'm actually, I'm trained as a therapist. I do mental health work. I, you know, I do research now, but, um, it's more, I'm more interested in how people make decisions and, but also things like, you know, how, how the experience of culture and language that, that we all have, how that affects baseball because, you know, that, that's part of it too. Um, You know, how things that, that we sometimes don't have words for in baseball can, um, can kind of Sway how we make decisions. You know, one of the things that I mentioned in the book, for example, is um, we don't think about tied games as you know as super important. We think about having a lead, and so you bring in the closer, you bring in your best reliever. But a tied game is actually the the next best place to bring in your closer, uh, especially in the ninth inning. Um, and you know, but instead we waste our closers on on the um, on on a three run lead. And you know, I said, you know, we we have a word for lead. What does it mean that, what's the word for, well, you're not losing. And you know, I I can, I mean, I can describe that, but there's no real quick, easy word for that. And I think that that experience right there, and I could put numbers to that, I, I can say, well, I think the fact that we lack a word for that is is meaningful and it it drives the fact that that managers are kind of reluctant to put their closers in in that tied game situation, even though the numbers would tell us well you should. I think that's what the Astros do. I mean, if they're tied in the ninth. Oh, inning... they. A lot of teams are starting to do that, yeah. and some of the more analytically progressive ones are. Um, and I mean, the Astros have have done that, and I've I've seen other teams that have started to do that. Um, Over the past couple of years, it was a little less common when I wrote the book. And I mean, that's going back. My goodness, I was writing it about five years ago. Um, so, you know, it's there has been there have been things that have changed since then. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think I'm I'm always on the lookout for things in baseball that we don't have a word for and mm-hmm. that that are still important. So sometimes analytics.
0: I think, and some people agree, that it gets kind of, you know, they rely on it a little too much now. Sure. A little, little less gut feeling. And what a lot of people point at was that Rays game where I think Blake Snell was just yep. dealing a six-inning. Mm-hmm. I think he had a one-hitter shutout going, and they, yep. and they, they pulled him out. Game six, they, yep. I mean, but that's what the analytics said to do. And Tampa Bay is very analytical. They
1: are. <laughs> uh, they they are. Um, their new general manager is <clears throat> a guy who I actually know. Um, and he was a, a – he used to be a writer for one of the analytical uh, websites that are out there, uh, Beyond the Box Score. And he uh, he's, he's now in the general manager's seat out there. Um, you know, one of the things that um, – the, the, the Snell maneuver that, that happened and that was game six of the, of the uh, 2020 world series um, is that you think, well, you know, Snell was, he was dealing and he had, he had, I, f- I think it might've been five and two thirds or five and a third or, and, and he was, he was doing really well. And you think, well, he's dealing, he's going to keep going. And, you know, as, as a psychologist, one of the things you're, you're trained to look out for is. Cognitive fallacies and you know the the idea, the illusion that a streak is going to keep going. If you're at the roulette wheel that if it's hit red five straight times, you think it's going to hit red again just because it's got a streak going. It's it's not. I mean, it's 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 still kind of a um, it has the same chances it always does to land on red. I think it's 5050. I think it's a little less than fifty because because Vegas, but um, but that's the um, but, but that's a common thing that, that humans get wrong um, that our brains kind of fool us on. When you look at the data about pitchers who are doing really, really well in a game, once they get past that 18th batter, you think they're dealing, you think they're going strong, you think that you know there's nothing that's going to stop them today when we look back on history, what we find is that they're just kind of themselves. There's, I mean, they're not, they don't turn into, they're, they're not, you know, um, they're, they're not turning into, you know, fifth starters or AAA guys, but they're just kind of themselves. And, you know, if you have, you know, a decent pitcher who's having a really good game, he's still a decent pitcher. But in game six of the World Series, which the Rays were down 3-2 and they eventually lost that game uh, in, in the World Series, but in a game that means everything, you've got to absolutely be sure that you've got the, the best pitcher that you can get on a per batter basis out there. And so as he turned over to his 19th batter, that's when we know that pitchers start to run into trouble, even if they've been having a really good game. And so it feels icky to do that, mm-hmm. but... You know, if 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 past is, if if past experience is going to tell us anything, um, it, it's one is that, well, it's a good time to get him out of there. And two, you're going to feel like, well, this time is different. And, and, you know, well, this time isn't different.
0: The Astros dealt with something like that last season mm-hmm. with Jake Odorizzi. Mm-hmm. He struggled. You know, I think he was late to camp because he was a, a late pickup and it took him a while to get his groove but the stats showed the analytics showed that once he gets i think i think it's either the 5th inning they don't let him get out of the 5th inning that's when he starts falling apart and he got vocal about it last year yeah. you know he's like okay i understand that that's my issue but how am i supposed to improve if I'm not given the chance. And that's kind of what you just said. It's like, okay, I can believe in you, but there's so many times that what I'm telling you is going to happen, happened. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. with Part of it was that, well, part of it, you're playing the percentages and, you know, Odorizzi might say, well, can I get past the fifth inning and and it's something that they might do. For example, if, you know, the games, it's one of those days where it's, you know, 11, two already. And you're like, well, it's just garbage time at this point from here on yeah. out, we're going to win. And they might let them push past that and say, okay, show us. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you got to win today's game. And the thing that, the thing that I think that people haven't really fully come to terms with is that, The way that pitching is thought of these days. has fundamentally changed. One of the things that I tell people is everyone's a reliever right now, even the starters. And if you think about the way that we have shifted our thinking from, Mm -hmm. um, plug the way, but you know, the way that we shift our thinking. Is that it used to be that if you were a pitcher, you went out there until you were either tired or getting shelled and then then the manager would come out and get you and you know for a long time it would be okay well eventually you get to a point where you're you're just you're 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 getting shelled so okay let's let's go there um but well do we have anybody better in the bullpen and over time, you know, we started seeing in in the late 80s, we started seeing kind of the one inning reliever, the short burst reliever, who would come in for, for a specifically just a short period of time and go max effort. And it turned out that there were a lot of those relievers out there. I mean, you, you think about, you know, it used to be, and I'm of an age where um, you know, if you had one guy on your team who threw 98, that was something special. I mean, that was like, oh, wow, we, that guy throws 98. Now they're like, you know, a half dozen guys in every bullpen that throw 98. And, you know, there's just that much bullpen talent out there that you can stack three of them or three or four of them together in a game. And so all the starter has to do is get through five. Well, now you're looking at, okay. The relievers are being told, just go out one inning, air it all out. You don't have to worry about length. You don't have to worry about staying out there. And then once you've, you've built a certain amount of those, you can start telling the the starters. I know that you've got the stamina to get through seven, but dude, all we need you to do is get through five. So if you need to go a little bit, uh, you need to kind of, you know, reach back for something in the third inning a couple of times, do it, get the outs and, we're starting to see even where starters are being told, we're not pitching you until you get tired, we're pitching you with a specific goal in mind or a specific job in mind. And that particular movement is something that we're just kind of coming to terms with as as fans, but it's how how major league teams think about their pitchers nowadays we've moved from the pitch until you're tired model to the reliever model. And it's just that now we just, the, the the starter is just the first reliever.
0: Yeah. That's a very good way to explain that. A lot of people think, you know, why did, why did, why could Nolan Ryan go out and throw mm-hmm. 200 pitches in a game? And these guys can't, and it's not that they can't, it's that they won't let them because that's the plan. And, I, I had another guest on, Barry Bloom, mm-hmm. Yep. and he wrote a story about how the managers don't really have control over the lineup. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of, you know, you go in a meeting and here's who's going to start, bring this guy in, bring this guy in, and, you know, here's the plan. And they really don't do a lot of managing, you know, with their gut. A lot of it is already planned out for them.
1: It is and I mean some of that is that managers are more selected for an agreeableness to more of an analytic mindset because that's I mean that is that is completely the dominant model in front offices nowadays and if you're gonna um, if you're gonna manage you need to at least be hip to that. the role of the manager is much more nowadays people management. It's the ability to, you know, you're, you are the leader in in the clubhouse over a six month season where it's just, you know, it, we get romantic about baseball games, but it's a workplace and they're tired and they're switching cities twice a week and they're living out of suitcases and, you know, they're all, they're all a little hurt and it's, I know, boo hoo, they're making 10 million a year. But that's, I mean, that's still a rough, a rough kind of, uh, you know, sort of set of circumstances to have to, to live in. And I think that managers are much more valued f- for their people management skills, their ability to kind of keep, keep things going and keep people from falling off and keep people from being like, well, why should I bother you know, going to this meeting or doing the training work or watching this video or whatever, and actually motivating people to do it rather than their tactical management. We think about tactical management as kind of the gold standard of, of what a manager does. And and I'd argue that, yeah, there's a little bit of that. But even even then, if we kind of run the numbers on that versus running the numbers on how if, if you can keep a team um, – kind of going through the grind, how much is that worth? And, and it turns out kind of the ability to um, to stop the grind from wearing a team down is just more important. So I, I think that again, this is another place where the role of the role of a manager is changing as well. And you know, that's um, I, I, I don't know if people are going to be happy about it, but that's that's kind of the way the game is played now
0: so what else that's in your book would you like to share
1: um well there's a li- well i know like, just, like <laughs> something
0: something that people can expect like i'm gonna go get this book this is what i'm expecting
1: you know it, what it is i start i start every um chapter off with a with a personal story and the thing that i, I hope people get out of the book and and the reason i put those stories in there and and you know reading my own Amazon reviews. Why did you put all these stories in there? Well, you know, I wanted people to understand that you know, I'm a real human. I I have, you know, a, a wife and a family and a job and a uh, I I I'm I am I am a a baseball fan through and through. And and when you you pick up a book and you know that there are analytics and numbers in it, there's this idea that you know, this isn't This isn't going to include the human element of the game. Well, I I wanted very much that that human element to be front and center. And and to understand that, you know, you can you can think about the human element. and as a psychologist, this is something that I, I do on a regular basis, but you can you can do it in a way that's actually scientific and that's not relying on, you know, fairy tales and metaphors and and all the usual stuff that that tends to go in in. In really bad sports writing, basically, um, and, and you know, movie cliches. I wanted, I wanted that to to be front and center in in the book too, so that, you know, the you would that that readers would understand that there's that that I'm 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 a real human being, and and I might be the messenger of um, some some of the things that you know I'm I'm talking about. are hey, baseball's changing, and that's not comfortable, but. Um, it's not, it's not changing just because we want to change it. It's changing for this reason. Um, and part of me is uncomfortable with that sometimes too. So let's talk a little bit,
0: uh, before I let you go about the rules. Yeah. And some people was like, how are they rules when they changed them and they, they changed them back? So it's still, it's still, it's not new rules, but it's different. Rules that came back, but anyway, mm-hmm. so we have the Ghost Runner that they brought in yeah. 2020. and Got rid of that. Mm-hmm. They now have the Universal DH yep. in uh, National League, American League, mm-hmm. 12 team playoff, yep. and then nine inning double headers. Uh-huh. Which one of those are you most? I don't. I don't know if I want to use the word excited about, but which one of those do you?
1: like the best I was a fan of the universal DH and you know there are people now who are getting ready to throw if they're trying to find me and throw tomatoes at me and that's you know that's okay um it, it, part of it that is that the game has evolved kind of to the point where pitchers batting is is just not really tenable anymore um There's not really any strategy left in it. Um, If you look at it, there's really only, you know, in the National League, there's that delicious moment where you're like, do we pinch hit for the pitcher or let him hit or how are we going to play this? And really that only ever happens in the sixth inning. And if it's in the fifth inning or before he's going to bat for himself, if it's the seventh inning or later you're going to pull him you're going to pull him for a pinch hitter. And it just doesn't happen very much um and and pitchers are just really bad batters and that's there's no shame in that they have to go up against i mean they're not they're not selected because they're great hitters and they have to go up against the best pitchers in the world themselves and so I, you know i think that as much fun as the bartolo cologne home run was it's just it was one moment and there are just so many strikeouts and and just weak ground balls that happen and you just you're looking and you're like this isn't a professional at bat. This is just an automatic out who's just kind of up there hacking and you know once in a while something kind of sneaks through the infield and great. And so for me, I I I I am happy that that the National League has finally come to its senses after 150 years or whatever it is. um, And and finally instituted the DH. So, um, half of the audience right now hates me. Half of them loves me, but that's okay. That's where I'm at.
0: I think most people are coming around to that idea, you know, to make the game more exciting. I used to be a, a person that liked it. that the two leagues were different and there was different strategy, but I don't know, just somehow during the lockout listening to, you know, other people's thoughts and reasonings. I've kind of came, I, I switched sides. I'm, I, I'm, I'm all for sure. it now. I'm, I accept it. But like, one the rule change. I did a poll on these four questions. That's why yeah. I asked you. Sure. And most people were the happiest about getting rid of that ghost runner and extra innings. Hmm. So it was the DH and the ghost runner was ninety one percent of the vote. You know, combined it was fifty one and forty. Sure. The nine inning doubleheader. I don't think. I, I actually like the seven inning doubleheader. I thought it was kind of cool because mm-hmm. they're going to have they're adding some doubleheaders to make up these games. Yes, they are. But before I let you go, what do you think about this twelve team playoff? And what do you think if
1: they would have did fourteen? I I wanted fourteen, and the reason being that. You then, and, and I was looking at it just from a making the the regular season more meaningful because if you have a 14 team playoff, you have seven in each league and that that number one spot gets a buy. Well, that buy is really super valuable. And so you have some teams that just kind of oh, we clinched. We're going to know we're going to put in the AAA lineup every other day just to get the regulars some some work. Now you got you, you have some real incentive to we're going to keep pushing down the, down the way and we're still in a battle for something, even though we know we're going to the playoffs that, that first round by would be, um, would be something that the teams would chase. And so now you've got a um, you've kind of got the pennant chase or the, the playoff chase at at the bottom of the ladder for the teams that are kind of in that last, that zone of the last playoff spot. Um and then you've got um, a, a battle at the top as well. So that makes for a lot of really interesting baseball come the end of the season. And that, that was something that really appealed to me. I think 12 and, and the way that they're going to do it, it, it seems as they're going to have some short series the way they've had, um, or they had in 2020 where they have a, a three game at the beginning of the, um, uh, at the before the divisional series. Um I I like that format. I like um, I like how it played out in in 2020. Uh, I know that was just kind of a weird season because because 2020 was weird. Um, But uh, I I I think that. um, I think it's it's a little bit more fair as well. Um, Gets a little gets teams a little bit more to play for. Um, I like the three game series rather than the the one game coin flip. Um, so it's, you know, we will eventually have a team that kind of sneaks in at, you know, 84 and, and, uh, 78 and, and goes on a run and ends up in the world series. But I, I'm okay with that. I, I can live with that. That's that, that'll, it'll, it'll go down in the history books and, and people will remember, oh, I remember that one time that that team did. And, and, you know, that's, that, that's, that, that can just be a little bit of fun.
0: You know when they brought out the wild card at the beginning, and it's that okay? It's this exciting one game yep. winner takes it all, but you're you're pointing out this twelve, you know the twelve team playoffs, and that wipes that out. And I'm I'm actually happy about that. I didn't even think about that until you brought it up, and I believe all three games are at. The leader's home, correct. Or whoever yeah. the, higher the higher seed is, yeah. And I think with the fourteen team, it was going to be the same, but they were going to. They were talking about giving the higher seed a one-game lead.
1: Yeah, the ghost win. If you like the ghost runner, yeah, on second, yeah. it's. Yeah, it, I wasn't a fan of that. The idea there was that if Some you think about, well, it's an advantage. I mean, in I think I did the, I did the math on this and let's say you're kind of a 100 win team and you're the number one seed or the number two seed. like the, the, what was it? The Dodgers had was 105 or 106 wins. And the giants happen to have one more this past year. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, the Dodgers went into that game against the Cardinals and the Cardinals had won 87 games or whatever it was. And so it was like a 20 game spread between the two. And you're like, and, and yet, you know one one game which is basically a coin flip i mean maybe it's kind of 55 45 dodgers but um but one game can um can just knock you straight out so it's a little bit more fair to have a three game set to give home field advantage but i think that they wanted to tilt the odds a little bit more toward the higher seeded teams for for obvious reason and that i think i did the math and it takes it from about a 60 something percent chance that, um, that the higher seeded team will win. If you don't give a ghost win to about an 80% chance. And so it was trying to, to walk that line of fairness, but I think that that's probably a step too far. It's, it's just not something that's, that's really done in, in any major sport playoffs.
0: I think one good thing about it also about the three games being in one place is they won't have a travel day. So they could have, you know, these two series, you know, starting off and you're going to have baseball for like big playoff games for possibly five days in a row in the first round. Mm -hmm. I I think it's going to be pretty nice. I mean, at first I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't really a fan of the 14 because seven, out of yeah. the fifteen teams, make it, right. and I just, I, I just thought that was too much.
1: If you think about, I mean, we've got March Madness coming up, and for those people who like college basketball, there's that that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday where they have the first and second rounds, and there's just college basketball being played all over the place. And yeah. uh, you know, you you flip to whatever channel happens to have it, and there's there's a college basketball game on and and they're all do or die games and um and, and you can you can basically take that entire weekend and just sit there and and yeah. watch all the college basketball you want and so i think that major league baseball is kind of trying to set up that sort of weekend with playoff baseball um because you know i mean a, th- a three game series is still going to be there's going to be a lot of do or die in there um And, but you're going to have four concurrent series going on and had they gone to a a 14 team one, it would have been six of those series going on at once. And so it's, it's, I think it's meant to, to provide something like that experience where you can just have a couple of days where you just totally immerse yourself in place, playoff baseball. And I, I wonder if that, that becomes a, a cultural touch point for baseball fans the same way that that first weekend of March madness is for college basketball fans.
0: That first weekend of the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. is one of the greatest weekends of the year. I, I'll I give you that it's yep. Loyola Marymount versus Duke and North Carolina <laughs> versus another team you've never heard of. And you're just on the couch watching teams you never heard of. And it's awesome. I'm screaming it's, 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 Gonzaga,
1: it's, and I have absolutely no connection whatsoever to Gonzaga.
0: Yeah, and I don't even—I don't watch basketball, but I watch—I <laughs> I do just... watch that first weekend of sure. the tournament, and I, I do keep up with the the college tournament. But you—you you hit the nail on the head. That is a a very exciting weekend. But, Russell, that's all I have for you. I don't want to take any more of your time up. Sure. Uh, I think I have a listener, Mark, you, that will enjoy this book. So, Mark, go get it. It's on Amazon, The Shift, The Next Evolution in Baseball Thinking. Russell, I appreciate you coming on today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This is fantastic.
0: All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Astros Baseball. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot.